Welcome to If It Ain't Baroque Podcast, your friendly history special. We are your hosts, Gemma. Hi. And Natalie. Today we explore the fate of the Princess in the Tower in light of the new book and its corresponding documentary and its research by Philippa Langley. The Princess in the Tower story usually goes like this. In April 1483, Edward IV dies and his two surviving legitimate sons are in for a bit of trouble. So the eldest boy instantly became Edward V and was placed after a journey from Ludlow to London via Stony Stratford, where he met with his uncle Richard. So Edward V was placed in the Tower of London for his protection and also in order to get ready for his coronation. At the time, the Tower of London was the safest place in the country. And a little while later, his younger brother Richard joined him as well. So now you have both sons of Edward IV at the Tower. At this point in history, this did not sound sinister as the Tower had not yet gained a reputation for torture and death that it would in the subsequent centuries. After Edward IV's death, extra tension was added because the death left at least one unresolved feud in his court, that between the Woodvilles, the clan of his wife, and that of his own family, now represented solely by Richard, Duke of Gloucester, the aforementioned uncle. So Richard, Duke of Gloucester, was younger brother to the late king, and until then, then a trusted crown representative in the north of England. King of the north, if you will. Unfortunately, Edward V, the young boy, who was 12 at the time, he never had a coronation and in fact was ousted from the throne by the man who placed him there, the Lord Protector, again the aforementioned Richard, Duke of Gloucester. Uncle Richard was faced with evidence that made his brother's children illegitimate as it came to light that Edward IV was married to another woman before marrying the boy's mother, Elizabeth Woodville, therefore making any children of that marriage unfit to wear the crown. Whilst at the tower, the princess, much like Queen Jane Grey 70 years later, he turned from monarch-in-waiting to royal prisoner, practically overnight. And Uncle Richard now became Richard III. So Parliament turned to the next of kin, who's going to be king, and... They asked Richard. A few weeks later, the 12-year-old former boy king Edward V and his younger brother Richard, Duke of York, were no longer seen at the tower and thus presumed dead, as it conveniently served their uncle's accession. So many theories have been discussed over the past 500 years as to what happened to them, including some theories of one or both of them escaping. Richard III himself lost the throne less than two years later at the Battle of Bosworth in August 1485, and a new dynasty began, the Tudors. The new King Henry VII made the missing princes legitimate again and married their sister. Despite feeding the Tudor propaganda machine that Richard III was a monster and a tyrant, Henry VII, of course, also benefited from the young prince's disappearance. Legend stated also that the bested Richard III's body after the Battle of Bosworth was thrown into the River Soar and thus considered lost to history. Two centuries later, in the reign of Charles II, the skeletons of two young boys were found at the Tower of London, not far from where the missing boys were housed. The bones were then given a tomb at Westminster Abbey. Fast forward a bit later, in 1930s, the scientific testing available at that age was performed on the bones of what was presumed to be the princess of the tower. The test had confirmed that the individuals did indeed die at the ages of 12 and 9 or very close to those ages. In 2012, the skeleton of Richard III was found under the car park in Leicester. Mitochondrial DNA testing confirmed his identity and he was buried with ceremony and dignity three years later in the nearby Leicester Cathedral. No such testing has been performed to the bones housed at Westminster Abbey, as permission necessary to do so was sought from the late Queen and was never given. Charles III, our new king, also never gave permission to examine the bones and thus the mystery continued. Almost as soon as she buried Richard III, Philippa Langley, the woman behind the dig and the search for the late king, 
as in King Richard III, she started a new investigation, finding what happened to the princess in the tower. A few weeks ago, Philippa published a book based on her findings, published by History Press. And the same day, a documentary came out on Channel 4 on the same topic. In the documentary, Philippa engages the help of Judge Rob Rinder to help her crack this cold case with the missing persons approach, same as the detectives would use today. The newly found documents in European archives are at the heart of the book and documentary, and the world is in uproar. Are they enough to prove that the princes lived? If you haven't yet watched the documentary, Gemma and I definitely advise you to watch it as soon as you can. You can find it on Channel 4 in the UK and on PBS Across the Pond. When you finish with the documentary, do read the book, as it's an account of the thorough research behind the investigation. Also makes for a perfect Christmas present for any history fan. Here are our thoughts on The Princess in the Tower and the newly found evidence. Enjoy the episode. Okay, so before you read the book... Um, before you watched the recent documentary, what was your thoughts on the princes in the tower? Where did you stand? Oh dear. So before one would have presumed that Richard III had something to do with it and with their fate. But then when kind of the Ricardian renaissance happened 10 years ago, and I definitely count myself as Ricardian, one kind of imagined ways for them at least for one of them to survive because it's not inconceivable that they did survive. So yeah, I kind of have been believing in the survival story, same as Monica and Ross's grandmother. She may have died. They may have survived. Cat. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Schrodinger's cat. Maybe dead, maybe alive. We don't know. And it's literally the case because until the king grants permission to examine the DNA of the of the bones, we, we don't know. But at the same time, so... Until the the recent book, until the recent documentary, my belief was this. The skeletons found under the stairs at the tower, yes, they kind of look like a smoking gun, although 200 years old smoking gun. But even when or if the sovereign at whatever time will allow for the DNA testing of the bones to take place, we will only know whether or not those are the right people. It still won't come with a little tape of CCTV footage of them escaping the tower or them being killed or smuggled away or anything like that. So my kind of thought was Richard probably didn't. Also because they were already legitimate. They probably survived, but nothing kind of beyond that. I didn't I didn't think that they necessarily definite definitively died. That's my answer. What about you, Joe? I think the same about the bones. I don't think we can clear anything up until the bones are tested. I've always thought they could have survived. I don't think they did. I think they did die, and I think Richard did it. Because why wouldn't he? I don't think there's enough reason for him not to. He didn't bother trying to find them. He didn't say, oh, they're in exile somewhere. He just stopped talking about them. If you haven't killed somebody and you're being accused of it, you're going to be like, oh, they're in France. They're in Burgundy. If you want to keep them safe, like a good uncle, you would have sent them to Burgundy or France. And there's no surviving letters saying that he did that or proof that he did that. So I think it was in his best interest to have them killed, to be honest. And I don't see anything wrong with that either. Because 
We're talking about a time period that was extremely bloody. He survived the Wars of the Roses. People were killing people willy-nilly. Brothers were killing brothers. Fathers were killing sons. We can't maybe think of doing things like that today, but that, that was just kingship back then. And I don't see the big deal if he did or he didn't, personally. As we've discussed on our Richard episode. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why people get so hit up about it. So what if he did? I don't know why people care. It doesn't really make him a monster. It doesn't make him a great person, but nobody gets to power being a great person. I hate to tell you. Power corrupts people. Mm. And I I mean, there's a whole trilogy about it called, you know, little very indie book and film franchise of films called Lord of the Rings. It's literally what it's dedicated to. <laughs> he turned into Gollum. <laughs> Please don't add more mythology <laughs> to Richard. He's fine as he is. Yes, power does corrupt people. So we don't know sometimes. Yes. So you pointed out the newly sort of discovered power could have prompted him to act the way he wouldn't have acted before. Because usually when you have historians defending him, they defend him with the kind of basis of his life before yeah. 1483. Mm. And he's saying, well, he was such a good so-and-so and he would never. And and that's kind of what I believe, too. But then, yes, I agree that the power does corrupt. I'm not saying he became a Tory. No, but I mean, there's something in the fact that, right, the power does corrupt. And I really believe that. There's something in the fact it was a different time period. His survival and his family's survival was a big thing, obviously, because... At this time, he's got a wife, he's got a son. If the princes had got the crown and the Woodfellas had took over, he would have been ousted from power and God knows what else. Yeah, because he had a clan to preserve. Mm-hmm. Exactly. and People will do it in for their own family. Exactly. I shouldn't ask your neighbours what you're up to. <laughs> <laughs> but they will. No, yeah, it's exa- people will do it in for their own family. Exactly. Well, That's what the... if it's life or death, then it doesn't make you a bad person, really, in my opinion. Exactly. We've all seen Yellowstone and Succession. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. So and at that time, that's the thing. So he still had, yes, the wife and the child. And there was nothing to say that he's not going to have, Mortal. he's not going to keep having them. Yeah, mm. exactly. Yeah. So if he wanted to establish himself, keep being on the throne or keep mm. surviving, the Woodvilles had to go. And unfortunately, the boys were part of the Woodvilles. And that's... Mm. At some point, yes, it became he or the Woodvilles. And oh, yeah. unfortunately, that was the, the the downside of it with the fourth rule is that he didn't really... Again, I've seen this in kind of middle management. Is that <laughs> I've used this example many times, uh, the case, the the curse or whatever you want to call it, of Edward IV. People usually look at me sort of, are you feeling okay? Because I'm bringing up specific things from the past, from the history, from lessons from history. So let's learn them. Because, yeah, sometimes when the head of department, the head of whatever leaves or in this case dies Mm -hmm. and you have two factions that disagree with each other, it's not enough just to say, please respect each other, please be good. And they ignore the fact that they're longstanding feuds, whatever they may be, but you can't ignore them. You can't just say, right, let's. Let's patch this up, but not actually offering real life solutions, not actually pulling them closer. Just those words are literally meaningless, insubstantial. So in case of Edward IV, as usual, his fault is that he died way too soon. Yeah. And leaving these two factions, which were literally doggy dog. So from that perspective, yes, it is 
possible that Absolutely. he would have done it. But then again, yeah, his family go through many bloody moments in the previous many years. So, yeah. However good he was before, it is still conceivable. Yeah, that's quite a good point, actually, because I think we forget another thing on top of power corrupting you. When you're in a situation that's like the War of the Roses and you see all these people dying around you in this constant trauma, it does, it gets to you, do you know what I mean? So maybe in another lifetime he would have been, oh, that's my nephews and I'm going to keep them safe. But he's seen what it's like if you keep people alive, in my opinion. So he thought, no. Because they come back, right, they were little boys, but little boys become men at one point and they come back and they want their throne. Because that's what happened to Henry VI, because Edward IV wanted to keep the peace and, you know, be very progressive. But then it's just, they're still alive. They will mm. keep coming back until they're neutered completely. So oh, 100%. that's yeah. what Henry VI had to go and all of his line. And mm -hmm. he also... He didn't see it yet, but he would see what happens when you let little Welsh boys keep being alive. And it's the same with Richard II. Um, if he had not exiled his cousin and chopped off his head, he might have still had his throne. But yeah, exactly. What we're saying is we believe it's possible that they did die. We believe it's possible Richard was behind it. So, the documentary... Yes, we had some great documents shown that we didn't know before. Mm -hmm. I love the fact that they stretched out and expanded and let's go Europe. Let's do Eurotrip. I love that because a lot of the times, and we've discussed this in an episode with the three young queens with Leia Redmond Chang. So we've discussed how important it is to see and learn other histories. Not If you want to understand British history, it's important to kind of to do Euro trip, so basically to understand uh, French history, Spanish, etc. Because England, yes, it's an island. Sorry, Britain, it's an island, but it's always been tied to other countries as well. Hmm. So, and especially when half of the family or all of the family had been hiding in, you know, in Bruges for mm. a lot of the time and there were guests in Burgundy and everything. And because we kind of say that, and it's always sort of not here, you know, when you when you read the yeah. book or when you watch yeah. the show, it's sort of off screen, it's off stage, you know, mm. but they're going to come back, you know, so type thing. But we need to remember that they went there, they left documents there, they would have been using their best crayons there, they, you know, would have done things there to leave a mark, hopefully. And I love that, you know, Richard, this was Richard's room. So yes, what I expected to see is what I've seen. Except I expected foolproof proof <laughs> to say, yeah, Richard, this is his photo with his family kind of thing, <laughs> engraving, if you will. So this is them together and this is him leaving his mark and we can examine that or whatever. I don't know. I, I expected basically, yeah, the foolproof proof. Yeah. Foolproof, waterproof evidence. There we go. Yeah watertight evidence that indeed they survived or at least one of them did and something that can't be sort of denied. Yeah, the same as with her first sort of find and big project. So mm. looking for Richard, she found Richard and it's yeah. 
99.9999% it's him. And I'll oh, be the first person yeah, yeah, to believe that it's him. And mm-hmm. I know that there's still that sort of 0.0001% that it's not him. But I personally, as a recordian, choose to believe it is him. And I will believe it until the day I die. And I, you know, when I go to Lesser Cathedral and I stand above his tomb and I think and I contemplate, you know, pray for him, so to speak. I mean, yeah. I'm not a massive recordian. I, I think he's fine. But... A hundred percent. Yep, it's definitely him. I'm not disputing that at all. Yeah. And that, so that's that was an amazing thing. Amazing. Hundred yes. percent. So yeah. that's you can't deny it. It's all mm-hmm. watertight. And even now, still people are. Some of them are questioning it. But yeah, the the kind of the 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 historians all over the world have accepted that it is in fact Richard. They found him. He was under a car park. Now he's in Leicester Cathedral. So he had the curvature, but not the one they thought. It's mm. kyphosis. So it's not kyphosis, it's scoliosis, mm-hmm. etc. So that was kind of changing history and definitively changing history and history books. So they can no longer say that he was thrown into River Soar, etc., etc. With the princes, when I was watching the documentary, I kind of kept thinking, Philippa, tell me why you're here and all that. And I'm thinking, this is not Vox Pops. It's not catching a person off guard. This is two people who know why they're in front of the cameras having been mic'd and briefed and contract signed and whatever. So it was just interesting to kind of follow that story because it's staged yeah. to a degree. Yeah. It's not the case where, yeah, it's difficult to explain, but it was just, this is what was going through my mind. Just when, mm. you know, oh, explain me why you're here. You know why we're here. I was expecting more because... I know nothing about the law, clearly, right? But I do know, right, and this is not helping anybody who's trying to commit murder, but if you don't have bodies, you don't have a crime, right? So I was expecting him to be like, right, okay, well, you can't actually say, you cannot factually say 100% that Richard killed these kids because there's no bodies, so there's no crime, which is, which I, even though I think he did, I, I totally agree with that statement, right? But he didn't say that. And at the end of it, the only thing he and she actually proved was that the three pieces of evidence came from that century. That's all they proved. Yeah, that was going to be my next point, precisely. So I respect the guy. I, I want to see more with him, definitely. So, like I'm not saying that his decision was rigged because he was on the show. Good, were you like in the movie? You know, I'm not saying that obviously because he was in the show, he had to, he was in the documentary, he had to say what he said, even though the staginess of it sometimes slightly bothered me, I suppose. Mm. You know what I mean? mean, I find it like pantomime a little bit. Yeah. I am happy that when they did the many, many slightly differing documentaries about Richard in the car park, it was a lot more documentary esque. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. wasn't stagey at all. The only kind of stagey bits, which you couldn't even feel were stagey, was, you know, Simon Farnaby on the train. Okay, he's on the train. He's going to Leicester. It's fine. It's nice. Yeah. Anyone I mean, wants to go to Leicester. All Lester. documentaries have to be staged a little bit, right? That's that's yes. fine. But it just, I don't know, it, it felt different. It felt yeah. a, a lot more scripted and all that. So for me, and the same as I'm guessing for you, it's... The the fact that at the end it's all yes these are from so even if we DNA the bodies and they say oh these guys are from the late fifteenth century okay great but it's not it doesn't solve 
as the book, you know, the front of the book says, you know, the world's called this case. And I am happy that, you know, when she took on the project and she said she, they're going to do this as if this was a crime case now and they're going to involve the, you know, the police. What did the police say? I thought, okay, finally someone is, you know, not taking it seriously because a lot of historians take it seriously. And as you and I have had this question to our guests at the end of every episode where we had an interview with someone, which is, hmm. I think, if not half, then more than half of them. We said, what mystery from history would you like solved? And most people said Princess in the Tower. Mm -hmm. Unless we said, don't say Princess in the Tower, because it's already an overused <laughs> answer. But yeah. people who no, could say yeah. that did say that. Yeah. 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 And it's, there's nothing wrong with that, because it is no. the, the biggest mystery. It's the most famous mystery. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. But this doesn't solve it. It just proves that the documents from the time... The thing is, it's very believable that... The first one, so Edward, because it's a very plausible story. They presented presented us with a very plausible scenario of how things went. And I believe it. I believe that this is very possibly the way that it, it went down, that the first son, Edward, the former Edward V, if you will, went and fought Henry at the Battle of Stoke. And then he disappears because he probably died. Very believable. Richard... With the whole, this is Richard's room. I agree with Yanina Ramirez when she said this feels, again, staged. That someone mm. would sit uh, sit down and write, you know, their lifespan. Yeah. What did I do last summer? Yeah. I thought when you were reading that out, they were reading that out and I thought, that's a script. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't he's come not, He's with... not sitting there going, dear diary, today, yeah. this is what happened. I think she wanted it to be from Richard and there's no proof that he or anybody who said he was Richard wrote that when they were saying oh it was a steady hand that wrote this well scribes wrote for kings all the time so that means nothing literally nothing um, it doesn't prove that he physically wrote that kind of felt like somebody had wrote that so somebody could learn a script in my opinion and if you want to have a little pretender you give them a script this is your life story but on the other hand, at the same time, I can believe that maybe Henry Percy or somebody else decided, you know what, we're going to keep one of these as a backup because kings at that time period and people kind of switched loyalty constantly. So I can believe that maybe they had a backup plan in case this king went to shit as well. That doesn't that doesn't dispute the fact that I think Richard still wanted them dead. I think somebody else saved that boy if he is the actual Richard. I think somebody else wanted him saved. It's the same way, like, um, do you know that, you know in The White Queen, which is completely fiction, but you know in The White Queen, Philippa, not Langley, <laughs> the other Philippa, Philippa Gregory wrote that Queen Elizabeth had swapped the kids. Yeah, so with the jewel, jewel metaphor, yeah. Yeah, so Richard that went into the tower with his brother wasn't the real Richard, and she had that kid somewhere else out. That's completely plausible. That could have happened. I mean, I wouldn't hand over my son if I was scared of my other son's survival. That makes sense to me if she did that. Plus, I'm not being funny. Do you think, right, that if you didn't have social media, you would know what any of the princes right now looked like? The young ones, as in, like, George and Louis? You wouldn't have a clue. I don't even think I could pick them in a lineup. I'm not going to lie. They all look the same. Kids are just like kids. And they grow that fast and they change that fast. 
So people in the tower are not going to see these kids all the time. They wouldn't know who they were. So a blonde wee boy could look like another blonde wee boy. If it's not your child, you're really not going to care that much. Yeah. No, I completely agree. You're really not. I think the Woodfills probably would have been able to tell the kids apart. Because they were with him constantly. But, I mean, Richard was in the North quite often, so I don't think he would notice that difference. Not in the younger one, anyway. And the elder one was away. So, yeah, he, yeah, he would know what the elder one looked like because he met them in Stony Stratford. Yeah. But the younger one, yeah, it's not like he was popping around for tea all the time. He specifically, <laughs> Rich, as in the future Richard III, then... Richard Duke of Gloucester, he specifically stayed away from court in the North, president of the North, literally. <laughs> the North. He specifically stayed away. So yeah. he wouldn't know. Exactly. Kids change. Kids change. I mean, adults were not around kids the same way adults are around kids now. I mean, it's clearly not the Victorian times. We don't. Adults weren't around kids all the time. Like, even the king and queen, they were busy people, right? <laughs> That's what nannies are for. <laughs> They probably would have seen them a little bit more often because they were, I think, a tight unit by the end, especially. Yeah, I was kidding. But yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but like the, the outer court, like they're not going to, they're not parading them the way they do with the royal kids now. They don't parade them to do like, you know. But there's no paparazzi to shoot them when they go into well, that's school what I mean. or yeah. when they're sticking yeah. their tanks out in cars. Uh, and Richard's not on Facebook going, oh, look at that wee photo of. Little Richard. First day at school, that's great. <laughs> we like that. <laughs> There's a bit in the documentary. <laughs> who, who was, who, I can't remember who said this now, but I, I wrote this down because I just thought it was the funniest thing ever, right? Just because we had done this, um, this episode on Gunpowder recently, and we were talking about Catholics and stuff, and she said, she said that Richard would not have killed the princes because he was Catholic, so hurting or killing children would be against the religion. <laughs> yes, that actually ruffles some of my feathers as well. I was like, right, okay, sure. Kennedy VIII was also very Catholic. He was the most Catholic that ever catholic Doesn't matter what religion you are, doesn't matter what time period it is. People kill children for many reasons. King John, I imagine, was also... Because that's the thing. At that yeah. point, you didn't have... You didn't have Catholics Catholic versus Protestants. None. It's good to remember. Yes. So in uh, John Ashton Hill's book, he has one of the great ironies of Richard's life is that he was a Catholic, even though you wouldn't call him that, but he was buried in Anglican church. Mm. And there was an outcry when they were planning to bury him because they said, well, shouldn't he be buried in a Catholic church? Because he was, you know, very religious. And that's what they should have said in the documentary, that he was very religious as opposed to he was very Catholic. And I'm probably going to get shit for this, but I don't care. The Crusaders were also very religious and they still kill people. And I'm pretty sure there's a commandment that says you're not supposed to do that. So what can you do? People make up their own minds when it comes to religion and rules. Pick and choose, as you always say. Exactly. Exactly. The pick and choose. Yeah, that bit was that. That proves it. That that's it. That has proved it to me. He couldn't possibly have done it because he was Catholic. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Or he'd say, "Oh, yeah, but you know, the younger one was also called Richard, so he couldn't possibly, you know, kill his namesake." <laughs> no, there was another bit that Matt Lewis said. No, I love Matt Lewis. I love I him. Love right. I love him. But I did laugh when he said this because he said that he would he would laugh at being behind a ten year old boy when it came to the mercenaries and he 
said along the lines of they wouldn't have been behind him if he wasn't the real king or one of the princes, right? And I thought, I don't think you understand what mercenaries are all about. They don't care. They would be, be literally behind a goldfish because all they want is money. They don't give a shit. They don't care if you're the prince or the king or the king's cat. They just want their money. They have no interest in anything else but money. Didn't Nathan Amin correct that? Didn't he say that they were mercenaries? Yeah, they did. They did. Yeah, but they... I understand how it's stupid, right? Because I wouldn't be behind a 10-year-old boy. I have I have two 10-year-old boys at one point. They know crap. They don't know anything, right? Even they're teenagers now, and I wouldn't be behind them when it came to war. But I thought it was really weird that he said that because I think it's stupid to be in any war, to be honest. I wouldn't be behind MD in a war. I'm not going, especially like that kind of war, I don't care who's on the throne. I'm not going to die for you. I genuinely do not care. My life is more important than yours. So I think anybody who dies for a king is an idiot. That's my opinion. I wouldn't die for any of them, even if they paid me. I think the the Wars of the Roses is not for you. (laughs) It's really not for me. (laughs) If, yes, if the mercenaries were fighting because they're getting money, I think he should have put more of an weight on is the fact Mm. that the other people, the people, the English people, the English people who you're um, parts of the family or whatever. So friends and family discount, if you will. So those people who knew that this is or thought that this was, you know, quote unquote, the real deal, they were behind him and they wouldn't be behind any 10 year old boy. I think that's what should have been. Yeah. If if he said that, I'd be like, yeah, Uh, 100%. If he had said that, that, I'd be like, right. Okay, I understand. I think a lot of them probably did think they were the princes. I think some of them probably wanted them to be the princes because they didn't like Henry Tudor, which is fair enough. I mean, that's fair. You don't really like everybody. <laughs> he did have enemies. That's what the book behind you proves. Yes, he did. I thought it was quite interesting when they said um, about Margaret of Burgundy, how she put a lot of time, money and energy into the boys and that she wouldn't have done that if they weren't the real boys. I don't believe that either. I think women scorned, honestly. A woman will get revenge whatever way. She just wanted to get revenge, I think, which is, again, fair enough. Her brother was killed, so she didn't care. She just wanted Henry Tudor off the throne. But that poses an additional question. Would she still have hated Richard's killer, even though there would have been rumours that Richard killed the nephews? I mean, we can't know, but Richard might have been her favourite sibling, which is a thing, by the way. There are favourite yes. siblings. There, there are, <laughs> I mean, absolutely. We cannot take out personal uh, grievances and family disputes. I only have one, so... <laughs> Thankfully, I have none. <laughs> what did you really like about the documentary? I like the fact that it pushed the story, so... We can no longer say, and I really hope people will stop saying that the princes were obviously killed, you know, on the orders of Richard, because it's almost as if they missed out this Ricardian renaissance that we had. And they always say that this happened definitively. They don't say maybe, maybe not, but you need to leave that maybe, maybe not sort of margin. And now, thankfully, even though I or you don't think that she definitively solved the coldest case in history, but she pushed the envelope. She expanded the story. So now that margin of maybe, maybe not is wider, which is great because we cannot say with certainty that Richard killed them. 
as some people still do, that margin of maybe is wider, which is great. My favourite thing about the documentary was that it did go on its little Euro trip, 100%. I loved that. That was great. I liked her approach, but, and this is my worst thing about it, I thought it was very biased, as in, you have one guy who's seen something different. Nathan, I love you. But Also Janina, like, sorry, Janina, she is she, also not agreeing 100%. So that she was wasn't agreeing 100%, but she wasn't on the opposing at all. Not not as much as Nathan was. I would have, and Tracy Borman actually said a couple of things, actually. But I just didn't feel like it. I want to hear more about literally what, what Nathan writes about. <laughs> What's the evidence for Warbeck and stuff, do you know what I mean? I wanted to hear more about that. I wanted a more balanced view of the sources either way. I would have liked to have seen that. Just for people who are not massively interested in this subject, do you know what I mean? If you were just watching it on the TV thinking, I don't know anything about this subject, let me learn about it. There was a clear agenda kind of a thing. I don't really like that with history documentaries. I want to hear both sides and then I'll make up my own mind, especially with something like this because, spoiler alert, it did not change my mind and... I still feel the same. Which I was really annoyed about because I was quite open to be like, wow, now I feel completely different. That was my biggest disappointment with it. I wanted to be wild and completely, that had blown my mind. And I'm like, yep, still feel the same. Nothing changed my mind at all. Still feel the same way. The book, I thought was brilliant, by the way. It is like... I agree, yeah. Yeah, I really did like the book. I think if you are reading it along with Nathan's book, you do have a a really good balanced view. You can make up your own mind. And I think everybody needs to respect each other's opinion because nobody's right in this yet because there's no bodies and there is no water-type proof yet. No CCTV footage of no what happened to them. Footage, no. Either no. Way. Exactly. So the Nathan... Uh, Nathan Amin's book we're talking about is called Henry the Seventh and the Tudor Pretenders. Highly recommend Mm -hmm. as well as, of course, the one we're talking about, which is called The Princess in the Tower by Philippa Langley. Uh, two of them, honestly. If you want to know anything about The Princess in the Tower, read the both of them. Yeah. 100%. Like, I really enjoyed both of them. Really enjoyed them. So, yes, in general, great documentary, a little bit staged, and it feels... Because the reaction, especially after the, the documentary came out, because they said, this is not going to be definitive. This is the open conversation. And the conversation that we've seen on Twitter, on Instagram, especially on Twitter, oh my God. You kind of feel this is a step down a little bit because mm -hmm. with Finding Richard, a million to one odds, that was such a triumph. And this feels less so. Mm. But like I said, I am very happy that this has now pushed the conversation and that there is basically something tangible to talk about if you want to talk the survival of the princes. I think I would like it if they just tested their damn bones. Even if they're testable, to be fair. But I don't believe that they will be tested. I don't think King Charles will allow it. Maybe William will. Maybe. It's interesting because Charles is, from what I remember, I, mean, I know he was into history plays by Shakespeare and... I think he was sort of into the whole kind of line of succession as in who who was who, etc. So he was unlike Harry, who apparently didn't know about, what was it, Bonnie Prince Charlie or something. I think he he should be interested in, yes, what, what happened. But then, as we've learned before, maybe he did learn from this history, that then it kind of opens the door to testing everyone. 
Yeah. What are we going to, I mean, where does it stop? Because it's sort yeah. of, you can not compare it, but sort of think on the whole BBC documentary of royal life thingy that they made in, what was it, 60s? 60s, yeah. So they opened the palace doors yeah. to the cameras and then mm. they couldn't shut them, basically, metaphorically yeah. speaking. And then it was all, okay, Diana, what are you wearing? Yes. I always wonder if there's something about whether he has been told by other people, let's not do that because we don't want it being the princes. Definitively, yeah. We don't want princes found. These little boys have been... I mean, whether they're the princes or not, they are little boys who were shoved under a staircase, to be fair. doesn't matter if they were princes or not. That's still very sad. It's just a little bit different when you have little boys killed for the throne that you're now sitting on and you have a king killer. It's not a very good optic to have, especially with a shaky throne because I think Elizabeth II had a very stable throne because she was the very stable queen. I don't think King Charles does, to be honest. But yes, he definitely listened to someone in the men in the grey suits or whatever because Elizabeth was against it. And... I think she was against it, possibly for that reason. But I think she was also against it for... I mean, she's, she was very religious. I was going to say, and traditionalist. You, you, just don't do you don't just dig up bodies because you want to test it and, you know, be famous. I think she was also a traditionalist because she was... She wanted to, to follow the footsteps of the forefathers and be conservative small c. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but literally no other word for it. Just follow tradition as much as possible. It was difficult for her to break tradition because that's what she knew. That's where she felt comfortable. That's what she knew that is going to continue the dynasty, Yeah, and I mean, there's probably something in that. Don't go digging in their family backgrounds. I don't know that she'd have liked that that much. I mean, we all know that it, it doesn't matter if what they find in the bones, if they decide to test, I don't know, Edward the Fourth and Elizabeth Woodville or whatever. But yes, it kind of, it doesn't matter because she's still going to be there, as in obviously she before, now Charles. It, it doesn't matter. But it is still inviting questions and it's still mm. upsetting and offsetting status quo, which you mm. don't want to do as monarch. No. Especially in 2020s. So Yeah. Yeah, because I mean I don't I mean I don't care what MD's ancestors have done, to be honest. You are not responsible for your ancestors or your descendants, to be fair. You're your own person and you're responsible for yourself. But yes. a lot of people don't feel that way. And feel like, I mean, you would think some people would want the world to be like North Korea. My Jesus, the way they're going. You should pay for your ancestors' sins. Yeah, I know. It's a weird, My mother it's a said that to me today. <laughs> she said she North that. Korean? Um, no. Well, unluckily, no. Or luckily, I'm not sure. Oh, to be yeah. fair, actually, not all North Koreans feel that clearly, but the ones in power do. It's a weird thing, but people do. They do and they do it all the time, especially in the monarchy. They'll be like, because we talk about talked about that in the crown, where they were bringing up the fact that Prince Philip's family were married to Nazis. So what? Good. It's not his fault. I'm not a huge fan of man laws, by the way. And you you don't control who your brothers and sisters marry. You don't control who your in laws marry. You don't control. So you don't even control who your own mother marries. Again, wasn't a fan. It's ridiculous to lump people in a boat. 
because the family they're born in it. So this brings us to the end of our episode on the Princess in the Tower, the book and the documentary. Please let us know what you think in the comments of this podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of If It Ain't Baroque podcast. Please like, subscribe and share with your friends. Gemma and myself, you can find us on social media. The handle is at If It Ain't Baroque podcast on Instagram. And we have an account on the X of the Twitter where we are at Baroque podcast. And if you'd like to read our blog and find out more, please visit the website ifitaintbaroque.art. If you'd like to join me on one of my walking tours, and I have three at the moment, one about the medieval and Tudor monarchs, one about the Georgian and Windsor monarchs, and one about naughty London in Southwark, please join me. The website is reignoflondon.com and there will be links in the description of this episode. Thank you so much and see you next time.